Before we get started, could you do me one favor, and that is hit the follow button on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. It is the easiest and quickest way for you to support this show, and I thank you so much for doing it. Also, take a screenshot of you listening to this episode or maybe a previous episode before that's inspired you and put it on your Instagram story and tag at Lewis Hatchett so I can share that around. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I first started taking Athletic Greens when they initially launched their first iteration of AG1. Now I think they're on something like their 54th iteration because they have not stopped developing and they have no compromise in the quality of this product. It has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source foods, probiotics, and adaptogens that is great for your gut health, nervous system, immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. I was taking vitamin pills to begin with, and I took them when I was a professional, and I was looking to go back into them. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to get back into taking Athletic Greens because I know they are at the top of the food chain, literally, when it comes to vitamins and minerals. And I felt great taking it. I actually now look forward to that mild tropical taste when I'm taking the shake and the drink in the morning. So if you want to get started and start supporting your immune system, getting more vitamins and minerals into your diet because our nutritionist athletes is super important, then they are offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and also five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you've got to do to grab a hold of this offer is head over to athleticgreens.com forward slash RYG. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash RYG to grab a hold of it today. I promise you, you will not regret it. This is something that I enjoy taking. I trust it implicitly. And over 7,000 five-star reviews have been put forward for Athletic Greens. They are recommended by professional athletes and trusted health experts around the globe. So grab a hold of this offer today. Also, this episode is sponsored by Sport Yogi. If you've been listening to this podcast a while, you will know how much yoga has played a part of my life and also meditation. But getting into it was really difficult for me. I struggled with adjusting to the idea of doing yoga and I didn't feel it connected with me as an athlete. That's why we started Sport Yogi. And not only that, we have now launched Sport Yogi mats and blocks because the first step of practicing and looking after your physical and mental health is getting on the mat. So I wanted to create a good quality mat for you as an athlete. If you're like me and you sweat a lot and when you get on the mat, you sometimes lose your grip, this is where the Sport Yogi mat helps you with that. The more you sweat, the more this mat grips. They've arrived and I'm super excited by them. I've given them a go and I'm so happy with the grip that you get and also the blocks are made of a slightly more durable foam. So they're not squishy, they're super light, so you can travel around with them, but they're solid and supportive for those athletes who are a little bit stronger and also want that extra bit of support. So you can use them for your meditation, you can use them for your yoga practice, but mainly the mats are just a thing of beauty. Just being able to grip so that you can get deeper into those stretches, you can just spend your time on the mat with no worries that you're going to slip, slide all over the place. And not only that, this is designed for you as an athlete. This is for you who are wanting to take care of your physical health, your mental health, 
and they are just here for you. So if you want to get a hold of the launch price, which is at a reduced rate, then head over to sportyogi.com forward slash shop. That's sportyogi.com forward slash shop to take care of this limited time offer. And there is only a limited amount of these mats. So if you or someone you know is looking to get into yoga meditation and they need something to drive them and force them onto the mat, a brand new mat could be just the thing for them. So go and head over to sportyogi.com forward slash shop today. Welcome to the Raising Your Game podcast, where I connect well-being and performance, as well as speaking to those in the world of sport to share the experiences, practice, and wisdom that can help you in raising your game, both on and off the field. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Lewis Hatchett, and in this episode, I'm joined by Olympic badminton player Lauren Smith. We go into so much, and Lauren blew this episode out of the water. One of the biggest themes that came out of this was around how much hard work is a talent of yours. But we go into her upbringing, how she got into badminton herself some areas around mindset that were just so interesting around building your physical presence to build your mindset, reviewing good performances, but not only that, some areas around social media, how Lauren is super, well, I believe super engaged on social media and creating a really great presence over there. Her relationship with her partner on court and off court, Marcus Ellis, as well as just some physical, mental and emotional practices that she does to get ourselves prepared for big competitions and speaking of big competitions she is about to compete in the commonwealth games so some real insights into what she's doing leading up to that but this episode was just full of nugget after nugget and i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation the time went so quickly and i don't even want to hesitate any longer to bring you lauren smith enjoy Lauren, thanks for coming on and doing this. Um, I'm super excited for this conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. It's good uh, good to be here. <laughs> so, so I want to. Uh, we've met before, and we've 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 had a f- few interactions as well. And I want to just dive into because I've not really heard the story, to be fair, of how you actually got into badminton. So, pretty much, kick that off wherever you want to go. Yeah, well, I was seven years old um, and, well, actually, I would say I was in the badminton world from baby. Um, so I started, picked up a racket and started playing myself when I was seven. Uh, but my parents played. Um, my mum especially was a really keen player. Uh, and I think after I was born, she was back down at the club. And basically, other members of the club were like my babysitters. Um, so, you know, before I even started playing myself, I was... That club was my family. That group was kind of a real close-knit group for me who, um, you know, I grew up with a lot of them and, um, you know, still am very close friends with them now. Um, so I started when I was seven and, like I say, my parents both played. But from my mum's recollection, I can't remember this, but my mum's recollection is that she wondered if I'd been swapped to the hospital because when I first started playing, I couldn't hit the shuttle at all. She was like, you were absolutely useless. And I wanted to go and swap you. 
So I was like, well, thanks, ma'am. That's nice. Um, but I think despite being apparently useless, um, I just really loved playing. Uh, you know, I had the bug for it. I went down with my cousins, you know, a lot of the people there were my friends. And actually, probably I was that annoying kid at the club that was like, well, you hit with me, you know, any free car, I was on there. And I just really loved it. Um, and so I kind of pursued it. I started playing tournaments when I was maybe 10 or 11. Um, I played a lot up in Scotland because we lived in the sticks up in Cumbria and it was less traveling and easier. Um, and yeah, kind of, it just, it grew from there, the love of it, um, the passion. I always loved the Olympics growing up. Um, and so seeing the Olymp- badminton in the Olympics um, as a child was a, something that drove me quite a lot. Um, I went to the Commonwealth Games mm-hmm. in Manchester and that was another huge sort of inspiration for me when it kind of was like, okay, I could, this could be a real job. This isn't just a something you you'd have to do you know casually or socially this could actually be something that you could be really good at and um yeah I was just very sporty and very surrounded by people that were willing to put up with my my nagging to play with me and yeah yeah long story short I guess here I am today (laughs) yeah was that I mean I um I kind of resonate with that like not being great at your sport to begin with I was rubbish at my sport to begin with (laughs) but it wasn't it wasn't that that sort of deterred me. It was the thing, the going and watching professionals play, going and watching games where my heroes were playing and just kind of being a spectator to begin with and then just hanging in there and then that just purely being driven by that that sort of awe of, of them and that whole experience. And then, and then eventually you get better. You grow into your body. You maybe hit the racket a little bit more. I hit the cricket ball a little bit more, bowled it a little bit more, and you just naturally become better. And then, bang! There's a moment where you're like, "I'm not bad at this. I can, I can probably deal with this." As you're, as you're growing up, did you have someone who inspired you? Was there, was there someone in the badminton world that inspired you? Or like me, I never actually had cricket heroes. I had actually, it was probably other athletes that really were inspirations for me. Yeah, it's funny you should say that, actually, because when people say, who's your badminton hero, similarly to you, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I've got a badminton hero. You know, I admired a huge amount of players, but I wasn't that immersed in top-level badminton because it's not a very visible thing. You know, it's not in the media loads. I was actually really inspired by a lot of Olympic athletes. So, you know, yeah, um, Denise Lewis, Steve Redgrave, um, all of these mm. incredible athletes that I'd watched had have these huge emotional moments on my tv screen um you know when the olympics was in beijing me and my mum basically switched our body clocks to like we were in beijing it was a bit ridiculous and probably slightly (laughs) you know we watched every moment of it we lived and breathed this passion of these athletes and um you know i remember seeing um the rowers and matthew pinson was bawling his eyes out on the podium and it's moments like that that really stick with you and I think you go oh, god I want to experience that I want to feel those feelings and get involved with that and you know I always say I was probably not ever the talented or the natural badminton player um but my talent was my kind of work ethic and my drive and um you know because I had that I just like a bit like you I persisted I just kept hitting shuttles I kept trying things out I spent a lot of time on court and um I just yeah I really loved it and I really wanted to experience the things that I'd seen those athletes experience you know those real sort of 
highs and um you know I didn't know at the time there was a lot of lows that came with it as well but um that was definitely a, a big driver for me I love that you you called your talent your drive that was your your talent I, th- <laughs> I, I love that that was I, I I I too believe that was one of my my talents because I, I always grew up saying like I don't believe in talent I don't mm. I just don't believe in talent because I I see so many people that are talented and I'm I don't see myself as talented. I've never told that I'm talented. Part of what I did, I was just never, no one, I never had a coach tell me you're talented or you're gifted. It was just like, oh, you're trying really hard. You're working really hard. And it wasn't until I was a lot older that I actually accepted that that is my talent. That is my, that is my skill set. That is my strong suit. That's my strength. Run with it. Because you can throw that in any direction. And you said there that you had, uh, you had failures you you had downs and low moments did you have them early on like when you were younger when you were growing up like were you did you start getting into badminton and, and excel or was it a bumpy road it was definitely a bumpy road um you know I was like I say I grew up in Cumbria north of Cumbria so <laughs> everywhere was a long way and um, so you know I spent a lot of the time mm. traveling really far to tournaments it was quite hard for me to be visible on the English badminton scene like I went up to Scotland and played a little bit there um so you know if I was going to be seen in England the closest tournament was maybe two and a half hours away uh, and so it was a huge commitment from my parents um and you know, I really saw that and I've learned a lot from that you know and got a lot of my character from seeing them sort of commit in that way um but I think I was I think I was 13 years old when I first got on the England program so it's kind of like a junior funding they'll help you find a coach in your area. Although that was a difficult in itself because they were like, oh, you're not really near any of these coaches that we have registered. I was like, oh, sorry, about that. I'll just move. Will I? Um, but, you know, there was a few challenges like that, of course. Um, but I got put on at 13 and I was on for one one year and went to a few of the junior camps, had an okay year in tournaments, didn't really, really excel, you know, just kind of improved at a normal level. And the following year I was taken off funding um and it was a huge sort of it was a bit of a kick in the teeth at the time but then also now looking back I know what a crucial moment that was for me and for how I am as a person because I literally mem- remember the conversation when we were sat in the kitchen uh, my parents were there and they were like look this is what we're up against you know it's a huge financial thing it's a huge time thing you're going to miss loads with your friends the training's going to be really hard there's no guarantee you're going to make it but if you want to, if you're gonna, if you want to put the work in, and if you're determined and you're passionate, we will absolutely do all those things. We'll find a way. We'll find you a coach. We will travel around the country and give you the best chance we can. And I think I don't even think there was a, a nanosecond of break. I was just like, yeah, of course. You know, there was no doubt in my mind that was what I wanted to do, and that I wanted to give it the best shot. Um, and again, at the time, I didn't really realise what a huge commitment that was from them and from the people around me. You know, we found sponsorship from local companies. Uh, we had friends that would coach us. We pulled all sorts of favours with the council to get caught. Um, and, you know, it was a huge sort of thing um, for my parents on just an organisational side of things. Um, but actually, you know, we, we did all that stuff. I worked really hard. I was even more determined to kind of go, hey, Bam in England, actually, I, I am good enough and I'll show you I'm good enough um, in a sort of like, I'll prove you wrong way. Um, and one year later, I got back on from then. You know, I had a brilliant year of tournaments. I, I kind of 
beat people that I never should have beaten. Um, my dad said he was stood, stood on the balcony at one tournament and I was playing a girl and they were going, who's this girl on the end playing? Who's she? We've never seen her before. And, you know, I got to the semi-final of a nationals and it's kind of something that has shaped me massively was them going, no, you're not good enough. And I went, no, I believe that I am. You know, I'm not even, I wasn't even deterred by them really taking me off. I was actually driven by it and spurred on by it. And it was kind of a real character building thing. And, you know, looking back now, I know that now I can go, well, if times get difficult or things are hard, instead of being like, oh, like, war me, it's really backing off. I'm like, no, no, I can fight this. I can grow from this. I can be better from it. And um, I honestly think if that hadn't happened, I don't know if I'd be here now, um, you know, with kind of the results that I've, I've had, fortunately. <laughs> Yeah, do you, it's a really common theme in, and actually doing a lot of diving into some of the literature and studies around um, what what you would call like elite athletes and the super elite athletes. These would be um, Olympic athletes, but also then the super elite are your multiple gold winning mm-hmm. athletes. Like they they win multiple games and they win them. And one of the common threads amongst all of them is that there is a moment of struggle. In their upbringing, they have faced a huge adversity, and that and that is a massive spectrum. And obviously, each individual's ad- adversity is completely different. So, what it takes is actually recognizing what adversity you've gone through, and then seeing what lesson you've learned and how you can then use it later on in life. I look at many different things that were just so probably what I would say trivial. Now, you could easily just breeze over them, but I grew up recognizing like that was tough that was hard and because I've done it before I've got confidence that I can actually do it again did you feel something similar that when you had gone through this really trying period you just drew upon it in any moment that required some sort of grit determination perseverance or, or resilience yeah definitely you know I think it it made me have a lot of belief in myself I guess if if that kind of makes sense mm. you know I think it I showed that I could come through and look, I had so much help and so much commitment from my family around me. Um, but then again, that's something that I can still rely on today. You know, when, when times are tough, if I need to fall back on my parents, that they're, they're very much there for me. You know, I've got a huge like support group network back up at home of those people that kind of went through those tough times for me. And um, I think that it's just a huge sort of confidence thing that if you're having a bad time of which, you know, you have a lot of low points in your career or a lot of lulls in performance, um, you know, some recently, some over the past 10 years that I've gone, well, I can, I can do this and I can come out stronger on the other side. And um, it's almost like I'm not a quitter. You know, I've, I've always kind of looked at my badminton career and gone, oh, I'll retire when, when I feel ready or I've never set a date on it or I've never done this. I'll retire when I think that there is, no stone left to turn if that makes sense because Mm. whatever kind of badminton throws at me or life throws at me or um anything else that comes into my life I'm like well I can use it as something to make me stronger to make me better um and you know it's it's sometimes in those moments you don't think that but you know when you have a moment of calm and you kind of step away you feel those sort of things coming back and you pull on those memories and there's been ones more recently than than that one. I just that was a huge sort of building block. That was the first time that I was like, okay, I've come up against a bit of adversity. 
and I've thrived on it. So that means that's my character and I can do that. Um, yeah, and that's definitely something that is shaped me as an athlete in the way that not even that I am just throughout my career, but in the way that I am on court. You know, if there's a a match, um, I'd say Marcus and myself in mix, they're quite known for turning around matches that we should lose almost um, for being down and out, whether that's yeah. like a long way in a set or a match point down. Um, we never kind of lie down and give it to anyone. And, you know, that's a, a reputation that I'm hugely proud of. And something, again, that stems from those same sort of experiences of, well, you know, I'm still in it. You know, I might be really far out of it in theory, but I'm still here. I'm still on court. I'm not going to lie down and let anyone take anything easily. Um, And again, it's something that I'm proud of and that I rely on a lot. You know, sometimes I love to just win easy and not be in these positions. (laughs) But unfortunately, it doesn't happen. Uh, you know, it's um, definitely something that has played a huge role in uh, in a lot of my my life. But then it also gives you your identity as as both an individual and, and as a pair with Marcus. And, and I'll get on with your your partnering with Marcus. But like the whole, do you going into a match? Do you actually? So is there something that you're either saying to yourself or, or as a pair where you're you're bringing out that sort of I guess underdog energy is, is is that the best way or that even that mindset of just being like we we've done this before we can grit this out let's do this and, and are you actively saying that to each other or is it something that you just kind of will turn to each other and be like this is happening again yeah I think definitely in game situations you know before the match it's usually these are the tactics this is how we want to play this is what we can do well But even when we talk about what do we do well, you know, and some people are like, oh, we've got this great attack or this great drop shot, this great set piece. Me and Marcus are like, we just get a lot of stuff back and we're really annoying, you know, which is kind of like that identity. (laughs) It's like, we're on there to be annoying. Uh, And definitely there's a lot of moments in games when when times are tough that we do turn to each other and go, we've done this before. Like, you know, let's, or at least we say like, you know, if they're going to win, let's make it really hard for them. Like, let's make this horrible and challenging for them and, you know, kind of take it to them as much as possible. Um, and, you know, it's it's definitely helped us out of a lot of sticky situations and is probably more important than a lot of tactics that you'll ever go onto a game with, you know, knowing that you've got that. And also, hopefully, a lot of opponents that we play against go on court knowing that that's going to be the case. You know, they might beat us, but we're not going to make it easy for them. You know, we're not going to lie down. They can have a really strong start or a really strong game. And we're still going to fight for every single point and make them earn it. And that's a a valuable thing in itself and might even win you a couple of points just from people being like, oh, God's sake, like, and just, you know, losing focus or getting frustrated. Mm. This sort of attitude that we, we bring. You were talking about. I'm going to take a slight deviation on this on this course, and and it's it's only because you mentioned about you your retirement, and you wouldn't do it until you felt you've turned over every stone. And I was totally the same. I've seen many athletes that are like there's so many stones to unturn. Which stone are you currently turning over, or is the most recent one that you've turned over in your your game, your lifestyle, your whether it's physical, mental, or emotional that has had an impact? Um, I think a big one that I've been focusing on in the moment um, after we've had kind of quite a rocky sort of 12 months in badminton. There's been a lot going on 
um, with a few sort of selection things and changes in staff and a bit of a culture change. Uh, and so it's been a really sort of rocky year and I lost a lot of my enjoyment of the actual training part of the game. Um, and also with COVID, with less competition, you know, huge amounts of training means that you have to sort of be able to enjoy those and thrive on those um, those blocks, which is in, in the badminton world, we just usually play competition all the time. If you train for three weeks, it's like the longest training block ever. Um, so a big thing that I've been focusing on recently is finding that enjoyment again almost remembering these things that I'm talking to you about of when you were a kid why did you start playing Mm. why did you so much um because it's very easy to lose sight of all those things and to get bogged down in little details that don't really mean anything and I think also get bogged down in trying to turn too many stones um as silly as that sounds but you know I got very into the nitty-gritty of certain parts of the game and oh, this isn't very good and we need to do this better. And actually it took away from a couple of things that I was doing well and that made me a tough person to play because I was trying to change my game to these little things that I might have seen other people do. And, you know, obviously there are certain attributes or techniques in a game that I need to still improve on. But I also have to improve on them in a way that relates to me as an individual, not in a way that relates to this player over here who might have a totally different skill set. Um, so I think a big thing that I've worked on um, recently is just, again, finding that love of the game. Why do you play it? What is it that makes makes it fun? And, you know, not sort of stressing about my performances or maybe, you know, the, stressing about the little things so much because I was really kind of giving myself quite a hard time um and so you know I've been working with a sports psychologist which has been Mm. really great and um kind of unlocking that side of things and hoping that that's going to start to translate into how to sort of um take be more in control of when I've got that authority on court if that makes sense you know when I step onto a match instead of just hoping that it's going to be a good day and I'm going to have a great presence is how am I going to have a great presence on purpose um yeah if that makes sense so um yeah that's kind of the the rock I'm trying to turn right now <laughs> that's brilliant that's such a cool that's such a cool one I, I mean one of the first exercises that I do with clients on the the MindStrong process and it's, it's, the, it's literally the first exercise in the MindStrong journal is the uh, earliest happiest memory it's it's going back to older ver- younger versions of yourself mm-hmm. and reconnecting with those reasons why you got into it so like my earliest happiest memory is when I was playing cricket in the garden with my brother and I will just describe that memory of like what I felt uh, that I felt enthusiastic I felt energetic I felt connected to my brother but I also felt valued needed and I felt that I was contributing to something because we were playing these imaginary games and that for me is is kind of like a depth of why I will do something and and it's it's a very simple pre- exercise. It's just simply go back to an early memory. It could be an achievement. It could be a holiday. It could be moment with friends and just describe what you felt in it. And it hasn't got to be everything that you need right now, but there'll be some clues because we just allow life to get in the way. We just Life just gets bundled on top of us. And, I, and being a professional athlete, there's a, a shift that happens, isn't there? Once you shift into that really elite setting, you go from, I played this game, in the garden with my family to now I'm doing it and trying to uphold a career 
and I'm there's, there's stresses in there or there's expectations from different coaches but what you should really never lose sight of is like why you did it in the first place and what you're saying there is 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 such a beautiful message because and it's lovely to know that you're doing that especially going into these games so it's going to be more more exciting to to see that and and be able to to watch you to bring that out um is there is there a sort of you you sent you want to feel dominant in 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 the on the court is that a real feeling of something that you had felt you weren't doing before and you or had you recognized there were times where you you had felt that dominance and you were like that that worked and I need, I need to do that again yeah I mean it was a little bit of both I think um you know I've always known that when I play my best in fact some of the games I'll come off court and you know the games when you might have experienced similar it's it's like my racket was a magic wand it just couldn't do anything wrong like yeah. it was just one of those days where you just like, oh, have to bottle this and just have it forever wizardry, um, wizardry. <laughs> one of those wizardry days uh, I love um, that. i'll come off court and you know we'll talk we do a debrief with the coaches straight after and i barely remember what happened in the game mm. because i was this you know in the zone i'm, I'm in my floor everything's working um, but I also recognise that what I do remember of the game is that I've I had a, a presence on the court. I definitely, you know, mixed doubles, especially you play a man and a woman, and a, quite a big part of the tactics of the game is expo- exposing the woman on either side. So, you know, you have to be, as the woman on one side, you have to be going, well, I'm not going to let you, as the man or the pair, bully me or expose me, but equally I'm going to try and bully you mm-hmm. um, from a tactical side of things. Um, and I, you know, I always recognised that when I had those good games, I had that confidence, I had that authority, I had that dominance on court. Um, and, you know, I've tried to work on confidence in a lot of ways. And, you know, how do I be confident? How do we this? But for me, it's quite an unnatural thing. So actually, I've found that working more on my authority and my presence on court has actually led to confidence, um, you know, because confidence comes from good preparation and from you know, years of work and what's led into things. It's not really a momentary thing. Um, so, you know, that's definitely been something that I've known over the years has made me good. Um, but equally, I think, like I said, with a lot of the sort of mess that has gone on at Badminton England, I found myself very, I was shrinking. I was being very mm. quiet. I was very sort of, you know, emotionally, it was it was one of the really hardest times I've had. Um, and that had a huge effect on me and kind of sent me the other way. Um, you know, very quiet, very negative, lots of, sort of negative self-talk um, and feeling like I was being the one that was getting bullied on court. You know, I was exposed or if we were playing a game, I was kind of hiding. Um, and I just recognised straight away that that was a very negative trait for me. So it, it kind of works on, on both sides of it. I know it makes me play well and equally I know that yeah. not doing it doesn't make me play well. Uh, and it's been a great way for me to start to tap into the sort of confidence side of things um, because, like I say, confidence for me isn't something that I can just turn on. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it's Tony Robbins, the, the great Tony Robbins, that says like your you your physical energy, you, your mind will follow your your body, and and it's so it is so true. Like there is the mind body connection of everything, but if you are mentally feeling low, like your body will follow that. So you like you said, you'll shrink, you'll round off. So the opening up of the body and getting out there and changing your body language, like just is dragging your mind to yeah. get out of that state. And it's 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 nice to hear you saying that. And especially to say that 
confidence was not natural to you. I think there'll be so many people that will resonate with that. I think that especially now, the world we live in, like there, the I think confidence, self-confidence is at one of its all-time lows. I think many athletes I'm seeing and speaking to, even whether it's young entrepreneurs or or business owners, even in, that, are, that are older, there's a mm. real confidence crisis and just a lack of of understanding where we get that confidence. And some people try to kid it. Like you said, it's built over time. Mm. It's not, It's you can't kid yourself with that confidence. So you need to be able to tap into whether it's those early memories of yourself, moments when you've achieved, or like you said, recognizing when it's worked well and, and what that looked like, what that sounded like. Uh, one thing I was noting here is that we always review when things go badly, but we we very easily, when we have a success, we'll just kind of bathe in that success for a moment and then move on to the next performance. And then if that goes badly, we're like, whoa, what happened there? But when you've had a great performance, that's a great moment to review what you're doing, to just check what got me there. What was I looking like? What did I sound like? What were the prep? What did I even eat for breakfast? How many hours did I sleep? What everything that's there, like tick all of those boxes, turn over all of those stones because that's there's clues there and then you enter that flow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something I've actually done with my psychologist recently was, you know, I'm, I actually really dislike watching my own badminton games for whatever reason I think just it's just I find it a bit cringe but actually stop watching the bad ones and watch some of the good ones and she was like okay and then tell me what that looks like and again this is where I got that thing of okay look at my posture look at my body language and you know a little bit fake it till you make it I can fake that posture I don't have to be feeling great to stand in a certain way um but also the thing that really got me and made me laugh quite a bit was I watched those games where I was like I've got you know the wizardry games I've got the magic wand in my hand I still made mistakes I still did things wrong but my reaction to them was so different to the games where I was in a negative space so you know those mm. mistakes those things are always going to happen they're always going to be there in every single sport but it's actually more about how you deal with them and how you come back with them you know, to stop them spiraling, especially in a game like badminton, you know, you can be on court for an hour and a half. So, you know, you're going to make mistakes in an hour and a half or you're going to make wrong choices, but it's more kind of, do you learn from that mistake? Are you growing from that mistake? Um, and yeah, I think it's really, really important. It's probably a very British thing that we like to look at what everything we've done wrong, you know, where were we bad? This was awful. That was awful. Instead of looking at, what did we do well and how can we just recreate that? You might not have to change anything just because, you know, you've had a bad game. It might be that you just need to react something that's already already worked for you. Yeah, we're, we're so hard on ourselves. We're just so, so hard on ourselves. And it's there's one question that I, I find has worked really well for when I've personally had moments of stress or something hasn't worked out and you've got that opportunity to either sort of react in the negativity of it and sort of just kind of be a bit woe is me and and look for the sympathy and especially in sport those moments can be very very quick because you need to bounce back like point to point you need to bounce back very quickly and I see it in a couple of young people that I've been working with is where they have something negative happen to themselves they spend so much time beating themselves up that when the next moment comes along they've almost missed it and so the question I come I pose to them is when that happens, who do you want to be right now? What, who do you want to be? So do you want to be someone who is kicking the ground, storming off, shrinking, 
Or do you want to be known as that person who comes back, fights, and just has another crack at it? Doesn't guarantee you're going to get success. Never guarantees that, but it just makes you feel better, like I'm feeling comfortable in that person that I'm trying to be. And that seems to be something that I have found really effective for whether it's myself or someone I'm working with. Yeah, no, I love that. I think like, and a big one for me is I've got a brother who's 13 years old. Um, so we've got a big age gap. And when I have bad performances, you know, I'm I'm ginger, so I'm fiery. So I am going to blow my lid a little bit and swear on court and, you know, actually have a very visible tantrum. You know, and I come off or even I actually find it worse if I go internal and kind of go quiet and give up. I'd rather have a tantrum and at least there's still energy there. But either way, when I do those things, I'm like, what What will Luke think when he sees that? You know, what mm. sort of example is that to him? And, you know, to everybody that watches Batman, that is not a way that I want to conduct myself. And I think that's a brilliant way to frame it is who do you want to be right now? Because, like, I want to be somebody who my brother looks up to or, people, or who, who can be proud of themselves, even in the hardest moments, like you say, even if you don't manage to turn it around and win, at least you are somebody that's lost, giving it everything you've got, you know, showing really strong, really determined character. And, um, you know, if, you know, there's a lot more people that probably watch, but if Luke watches it, then, you know, he's going to, he's going to pick up on that and hopefully kind of take that a little bit into his life of whatever, whatever walk of life it takes him down. Um, if he does it with that sort of attitude and that character, and I can go, well, you know, that little pat on the back for me, because that was a lot of character that I've sort of demonstrated. Um, then regardless of what results or anything happens in my career, that is something to to be proud of and to kind of look back on. Yeah, I love I love that, that the, the power of like dedicating something because you become, it then becomes bigger than just yourself, doesn't it? It's like you're, you're dedicating it. And when we're when we're dedicating something to other people, it, it, it transcends like who we are. And, and actually we probably feel more motivated through that. And, and I think as well, whether you're a, 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 an Olympic athlete or even just a park footballer and just for the local village, when you play sport, you inadvertently become a role model. People always look to sport for the the tips and tricks of like how to better yourself, whether that's physically or they're looking for whether it's like the the really impressive person in the community. So I think when you are playing sport, you do have that choice. Like, do I want to be known as someone who is positively influencing those around me, whether that is my teammates, my family, or even the community that are watching, or do I want to be a negative influence? And it's a very simple question and choice. Yeah, 100%. It's such a, I mean, I've count myself in a very privileged position you know, to be playing and for people to kind of watch and maybe be inspired by it. Because, you know, I remember going to the Commonwealth Games in Manchester in 2002. So I think I was 11. So I was kind of at that stage where I was starting to play a few tournaments. And um, I watched the England team and I went round with my autograph book and I got some signed. And, you know, Anthony Clark, who is now my coach, actually signed a picture for me, which I had framed in my room for ages. But, you know, that sort of thing inspired me. And, drove me to to work really hard and dedicate myself to this career to the point of me having the greatest experiences of my life. You know, I've traveled the world. I've had some incredible matches. I've learned a lot about myself. I've made loads of great friends. And that is because of little moments like that where I've been inspired. So, you know, sometimes you have to kind of step back and say, well, 
instead of thinking, oh, how am I going to win? I'm stressing because I need to feel like this, this, this. And it's just like, I should think myself privileged that I'm out there with the opportunity to inspire somebody, you know, one person that will go on and have a career and look back in too many years' time <laughs> uh, and go, I was inspired by her. And that's why I've had such a great, great career and great experience. You know, it's um, it sounds very grand, but actually I think it's important perspective to keep. And like you say, at every level, not just Olympic level, literally every level. And something with social media, like it's just so easy to do as well now. Like you can do it very, very quickly. You can have an impact very fast. I'll probably get one or two messages a week from people that are just saying like, I've, ch- I've done this or thank you for this this sort of video that you put out and it it really helps me in this situation. That one fuels what I'm doing and that 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 just really fires me up. And, and I think as well, it just shows that you don't, you don't, with social media, you don't necessarily have to have done so much to, to do that. You, you ultimately just have to have that little bit of credibility, which is built over just a, a short period of time. And then you're offering that advice, you're offering those tips that people are just kind of waiting for. They're just, they're following you for a reason. They're following you for a reason. And, and whether you've got a hundred followers or a hundred thousand followers, like, Think of just, I saw a really cool video of a, it was a young um, gamer who was like, he was on a, he was on like a, it was a viral video and he was just like on a video game stream and someone had like commented saying like, dude, you've only got like 15 followers and 15 viewers. And he was like, I've got, that means I've got 15 people in the room. He's like, imagine if you had 15 people in the room listening to you, like you would act differently so it's almost like not your viewership that's the 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 big thing it's like what are you saying like what are you doing like that value you're bringing people you can inspire people very very fast yeah it's a really great thing that we've got now obviously you know social media has its has its ups and downs I totally understand that but I do think that sports people should view it as an opportunity to put themselves out there and inspire because also, you know, Max and I were having a discussion the other day and he was saying that I think a lot of young people or, you know, junior badminton players, for example, look at people um, that have achieved medals or have reached high levels and think that they're superhuman, think that they're not normal people who've gone through normal lives. And um, actually, it's not the case at all. You know, we're all human. We're all these very um, normal people that have had normal upbringings and you know yes we've absolutely had a lot of opportunity and good people around us to get here but anybody can do it you know literally whatever sport it is you can achieve great things or you know you can have a great social life from getting involved in the sport whatever it is you want from it it is attainable because we are all human at the end of the day and I think social media is another opportunity to kind of put that out there of you know, absolutely, there is real hard work, real dedication, um, you know, real sort of high energy levels, all of that sort of stuff that does go into it. And you will never get away uh, to a top level without that sort of thing. But then at the same time, everybody's capable of that, mm. you know, and, you know, you can still put on social media, I'm really tired today. This is sore today. Today I'm doing my laundry. Like, yeah. you know, it's very human and hopefully very relatable for a lot of people to kind of just go okay actually they are they are normal and that 
that could be me. You know, this sounds like my life. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that, there's it's a real common theme, and 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 one thing I've always said. I, I funny I've said it to someone last night. I was I was saying one of the things I I truly recognised when I became a pro, and I was very similar. Like I had got autographs off guys that I ended up playing with, and then you you're they're like your idols, and they're they're this is a huge moment of you getting their autograph and then suddenly I'm I'm signed to the team and I'm in the changing room and it's one of it, it's just one of like the most not it's an underwhelming experience not because they are underwhelming but because you're like I've for years been putting these people on pedestals and they're just humans they're just yeah. they've got kids that the conversations they're having are about their kids starting a new school or uh, they're, they're getting married they're going on their honeymoon they're they're, they're literally doing life they're just doing, but the, yeah. their job just happens to be in the public eye, and they're 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 playing a sport. And I think when you when you recognise that, especially as a young person, when you hear they are just normal people, it does make the experience that you're going through valid. It makes what mm. the experiences that you're having, the the ups and downs valid. They've had them. They've also probably come from a very similar neighbourhood to you. They've they've got neighbours that are, that are tradies, that are that are accountants, that, are, that just everyday people that they're around them. They've gone to maybe a state school, and that experience is not too far away from yourself. And 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 if anything, there's obviously stories of people who have come from extreme hardship and real humble beginnings, which are the the American dream stories that you hear, which are again possible. So it's just. I see, I work with some young guys who, when they hit an obstacle, they're like, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not mm. one of them. And I always say like, you're, pro you're, you're so much closer than you think that it's in this moment when they chose to not give up that you get the decision to do the same. You get the decision to do the exact same and not give up and persevere and keep going. So yeah, it's a great message that, they, that you're just not that far away from being as human as they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also important to remember, as you get older in your career, you know, you look at when you're younger in your career, and you've got oh, these people are superhuman, these people are amazing. And as you get older, you kind of become very desensitized to what it is that you do. You know, the thing, you know, the day to day things that I do, I go and I train and I do some weights. And, you know, I travel and I play tournaments. And for me, it's very normalized and almost mundane. And actually, I have to sometimes remember that people think that this is people's dreams. This is my dream, like definitely my dream. And so I shouldn't let it become totally normal. Mm. You know, it has to be normal to have to go about it and have to go through certain things. But actually remembering that this is what I did, you know, I sacrificed social situations. I, you know, yeah. I missed seeing friends. I moved away from family. I did all of this because this was my dream. And I have to remember that, you know, so because that, again, is, another really big motivator and, and something that you can kind of become very desensitized to. And I think it's very numbing um, when, I mean, I've been in a professional athlete for 10 years now, um, which is bonkers. Cause if I asked, you know, 11 year old Lauren, what do you think about this? Would you take that? She'd be like, Oh my God, yes, yeah. that'd be amazing. And now I'm kind of like, Oh, it's been all right. I'd like some more, <laughs> you know, and it's again, stepping back and going, people think you're a superhero and you live the best life ever that they would just, that they think is a dream. Um, and you know, you have to remember that side of it as well. Yeah. Go give yourself the credit that you deserve. Um, I want to actually circle back to social media like real quick, because you are very good at it. 
and I would and I and, I, and you're very good at it as an athlete and I think it's important because not only that you're not you are posting organically I can I know and I can tell it's you that's posting there's many athletes that have huge brands that they'll actually even have someone that's posting for them but you are posting organically and have you made that a conscious decision to to do that and and, and do you obviously know the tool that it can unlock because of your position and perhaps even opportunities down the line I mean, being totally honest, I just wouldn't really know how to do it any other way. Um, I would, this is just kind of me. This is how it's happened. I started posting very regularly through lockdown because, one, I was bored. And two, I had far too much energy to burn and I was annoying Marcus. So he was like, go and do something else. So I was like, right, Instagram it is. Here I am. <laughs> um, and that's just kind of how it started. And, um, you know, it's grown in a bit of a crazy way. Um, but like I said, I know what a useful tool it is and how beneficial it, a resource it can be to people for, you know, for whether it's for technical stuff, whether it's from inspiration, whether it's just going, oh, she's very normal. Very little of what I do on there is very well considered. Sometimes I kick myself for it because I wake up some days and I'm like, oh, was I supposed to post something? I had a really good idea. <laughs> uh, and it's yeah, it's very sort of flippant. But um, I I just enjoy it and you know that's why I do it um, I'm very passionate about badminton and people get involved in sport and I just want to kind of I'm in a very privileged position to have the resources I have and to have had the experience I've had and so why why not share it you know at the end of the day um yeah I wish I had something that sounded more organized than that but it's literally just I've done what feels good and, and here I am <laughs> well, I think the shift that I've seen what you've been doing recently is a lot around education like you've been educating people um i think you did a post recently about sustainability as well and and how to be sustainable in badminton i think that was a that was an incredible post uh, and that that's that's more than just putting up your successes that's more than just putting up like had a great day training like feeling the pump it's actually giving back it's giving value to those well now 100,000 people that are following you on instagram that are considering what you're doing they're following what you're doing Obviously, badminton has a, a worldwide community and you've got a voice there. You've got a platform. I think what some athletes miss is that opportunity to inspire or recognize what their platform can do for other people and do for them, especially in sports that don't have the funding at the actual sport itself. So mm-hmm. I, I would even consider my sport cricket in that. If you are, there's, there's very... There's a lot of cricketers. There's a lot of money in cricket, but it's it's actually savoured for a few at the top, essentially, like in some of the big tournaments, playing for your country and that. But the, the, the high percentage of players will be at the sort of three quarters of it will be at the county level and the salaries are, are good. But the, I, I believe with the platform that they've got and, and the followership of most of the clubs, there's a huge opportunity to back, back onto that, to just jump onto that opportunity and build your personal brand. I think you're just building your personal brand, whether you are conscious of it or not. And I, and I think it's a very smart move to do that, um, given your notoriety in your own sport, and then what opportunities could potentially be presented down the line. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a great thing that has come of it. I've had a lot of opportunities. You know, I've got in touch with a lot of companies, um, whether it's kind of to do with recovery products or, you know, guys like you who've got um, really great resources for me, like the Sport Yogi app. 
Um, and it's kind of a lot of those things have come along with it. And I feel, again, very privileged. But I also know that one of the biggest problems in badminton in the UK, especially, is its visibility. You know, mm. it's not in mainstream media. It's not on the TV. And so, again, although quite a lot of my following are in Asia because it's huge over there, which is great. Um, I can get badminton out there. I can show badminton of what it looks like at a top level in the UK because I do think that it's viewed as a sport a little bit of, you know, like kind of the village hall. Like yeah. everyone goes, oh, do you play like badminton? I'm like, I literally cannot think of one shot that I hit like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll tell you one thing you did You did post. We 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 played as a group of friends, my my mates from school. We're all, we're all still mates. And we did a thing called Minton Mondays. We'd play badminton on a Monday, like yeah, to, to go to the local leisure center and we'd play, we'd play Minton Mondays. It got so competitive, Lauren, that we had we had one of our guys who who was a like graphic designer had made like loyalty cards. So if you turned up to Minton Mondays, you got a stamp, and then the, if oh you achieved a certain amount of stamps, you got you got in for the the meal at the end of sort of our season that we were like creating um but one of the things that came up on your social media was how to serve like my serving was dreadful like it was either like throw it up (laughs) hit it miss it hit the net and then you did one that was really quick on like how to serve i'm like oh my god i'm banking this and that's that's for me (laughs) but but so from from that thank you but also yeah i think i think you're right like it's a that's a really good point about making it visible in in the uk like it and you've probably got a great opportunity coming up with the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, by the way, I'm totally stealing Minton Mondays. I'm happy to have it. It's <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I think, again, the thing in the UK is the accessibility to, to high-level coaching. You know, so again, if I can do a video that takes me, you know, 20 minutes to make and half, well, probably a long time to edit because technology doesn't like me that much. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's very minimal effort for me to put something out there like that. And it can help people that are having a really fun time with it, you know, and get people to go and have a bit of fun and get a little bit better when they're playing. Because, you know, kind of if you get a bit better, you start to enjoy it a little bit more. And um, I think, you know, that's a really great thing. But, um, yeah, for sure, the the Commonwealth Games is a massive opportunity to kind of get get badminton out there. It's... um, you know, a big sport there is running for the entire two weeks. So not only hopefully will we get quite a lot of visibility on the TV, on, you know, the BBC or the Red Button, we'll actually get people coming to watch. Um, and, you know, you kind of hope at these multi-sports events that you'll get people that are obviously loyal long-term viewers, but you'll also get people that, are, you know, are coming to the Commonwealth because they want to watch a few sports. And they go, oh, Batman, that might be interesting. Um, and, you know, again, get it out there, get people seeing it. And also a huge thing for me is, am I going to, you know, who do I want to be when people are watching it? Mm. You know, can I put my best foot forward? Um, you know, one of the best ways to inspire people is success, really. Um, if we're being totally honest, if, you know, if you've got a medal around your neck, your voice is a little bit louder, right. or you're going to be in a few more papers and people might kind of go, oh, that looks fun. I'll pick it up. I'll tune in to watch this game. Um, and so, you know, I'd love for myself and the rest of Team England uh, at the Commonwealth to have that sort of su- success that can push badminton out there um, a bit more and kind of definitely in the UK. But, you know, across the world, of course, um, the more people play in, the better. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm going to tune in for sure. 
Um, one thing I kind of again want to take a little bit of a hard hard steer on is um, is your relationship with Marcus. So <laughs> I, I find it fascinating. Obviously, like you, you're partners on court and partners off court. How does that mm-hmm. dynamic work? Talk me through it. <laughs> um, you know, we actually. So first question I always get asked is, were you put partners off court or on court together first? So we were actually playing partners first. Right. We played badminton together. First. Um, we've, we've known each other, he's kind of two years older than me, we've known each other since we were teenagers, obviously been at the badminton tennis together a long time, um, but we started playing together and we just kind of got to know each other and we're like, oh, you're quite nice. <laughs> um, and so that kind of, the badminton came first and the partnership came second. Um, but I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. It's a really difficult one. I think the best part is that you get to share these incredible experiences together um, and that when you're in, in those matches and things are really tough and you can kind of come together and, you know, really fight hard and be tough in those moments and have each other's back, um, it's a really sort of, it's a moment that kind of adds to your relationship, mm. you know, it really um, increases the bond that you kind of have, as cheesy as that sounds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think... It also has its challenges. You know, we spend a huge amount of time together. You know, we live together, train together, travel together, play together, all of those, like, work together. Um, so, you know, it can be very intense at times, and we have had to learn how to make that dynamic work when, you know, things aren't quite going how we want them to go. You know, if um, if performances aren't right or if it's a bad day at training, how do you make sure that that bad day at training doesn't come home and kind of make the home environment uncomfortable? Um, and it's it's taken work, but I would say in general, a lot of how we are together and how we've worked together has just kind of happened very naturally. I think we're, you know, both we're two very driven people. Uh, we share the same goal. Uh, and, you know, if we do achieve those goals, when we have successes, those moments that we have together, uh, you know, absolutely incredible and and hugely memorable Uh, and equally you know if one of us if we don't have success we can come together even more and um kind of think how we're going to turn this around how we're going to make this work and there's not any better feeling than being on court with somebody that you know has your back 100 percent um partnership dynamic in doubles is a is a huge thing you know i've played with a number of different partners uh, especially in women's doubles over the years and finding how you communicate and what you say to each other between rallies and how you get the best out of each other you know it's always taken quite a lot of working out whereas with me and Marcus it just happened yeah you know it was just natural it just worked um and yeah the the only thing that's been hard is managing um when times are tough um so yeah it's it's an interesting dynamic I'm not sure it would be for everybody but it it definitely works well for us (laughs) yeah is there anything that you do to potentially switch off and and get yourself away from just badminton just the training the badminton, just allow yourself to switch off I know, I know you've got your dog and but um is there is there anything that you both actively do because I'm sure you're both hyper sensitive and aware that burnout's a real thing and you actually are in a position where you could run into that wall quite quickly just given that you're together all the time um, and sometimes, obviously, there's athletes out there that will come home to their partner to escape their sport. Um, what are you doing in in that to, in order to get that escape? Um, 
I think, I mean, you did mention the dog. A big thing is the yeah. dog. There's nothing kind of more stress relieving than coming home. She's all excited to see us. Tails wagging, you know, you forget all your other worries. Um, and, you know, we go out for a walk in the evening. Just being, for me, being in green space is a huge thing. Mm. You know, again, a little bit from being from somewhere so sort of rural. Um, I love getting outdoors. So the fact that having a dog kind of forces mm. us to go out and do that, um, is is really nice and really sort of refreshing but you know we don't have rules of you know we can't speak about badminton after this time or we won't say this because at the end of the day sometimes we wouldn't have anything to talk about if we didn't talk about badminton because it's a lot of our lives mm. um but i think we both have kind of different ways to switch off i really love to go and cook or listen to a podcast you know he kind of likes to do different things to me and sometimes the best way to switch off is just have a little bit of either time apart or alone time or time with different people um, and kind of change the environment, change your mindset. Um, you know, it, like you said, it's really good to meet friends that aren't playing badminton and that have different interests. You know, that can be really refreshing as well. Um, so, you know, there's there's no set rules, but we just have quite a lot of very relaxed downtime. You know, we just watch a series and really kind of let your mind switch off Um yeah, nothing, nothing hugely set. Just um, awareness of when to give each other space and when to step away and you know switch your brain off. Yeah, are there, are there any <laughs> other practices, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional, that you you know you do that will get you into a good place for performance? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, if I'm preparing for a performance, I know that visualization is a good one for me. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, picture my best self and how it is that I'm playing well. Um, you know, I really like watching video of opponents on myself to prepare in that way. Um, you know, Marcus is actually very different. Uh, he doesn't really watch that much video um, because he finds that he gets too many things in his head and it sort of clouds his judgment. So it's quite interesting. I kind of gather all the information and then reduce it down to like, here's three, three things, here you go. Uh, and we kind of worked really well in that way, actually, because it makes me very aware of how much I'm taking in. Um, but yeah, he's definitely more of a sort of just making sure that he's got himself, his body feeling good, that he's really warmed up and he's really moving well. And he's kind of just got very instinctive in that sort of sense. Um, so we definitely have our differences. Um, but a big thing for me and something that I've kind of, I guess, picked up over lockdown and then a little bit much more now um was kind of breath work um so yoga kind of triggered it um i'm actually i'm very much uh a mouth breather for one and a trap breather Mm. so i get a lot of shoulder injuries from from badminton and we've identified it's kind of overuse of my traps and i've been changing movement patterns but one of the times i use my traps most is just breathing uh and being a horrible mouth breather um so I've been working on that quite a lot and I've actually found that as I've started to get better at it first I found it really quite it stressed my body a lot but now I actually find that I can really sort of calm myself have a lot of awareness of my my body and my breathing um and it's made a really a really big difference to me being calm in moments when I might sort of get stressed or moments when my shoulders go like this Mm. um it's just added an extra level of awareness i think to me in stressful situations that, that's a really great tangible um result from from breath work like obviously you know that i i 
do it and and I teach it but that is um that's one that's super interesting because you you've recognized where you're getting that stress and you've you've recognized it's come from your breathing and sport the reason why athletes will be such horrendous mouth breathers as general is because it's not necessarily that one we're not taught how to breathe properly but two the idea that when you see a athlete on a marketing campaign that is trying hard they're always panting through their mouth so it's always like you think about it, i think about every workout i did when i was younger it was like how hard can i go until i'm completely collapsed on the floor but you can get one hell of a workout through reducing your breathing and actually not intensifying the workout too much but internally your systems are absolutely fired up and it's hard work like i'll do my regular breath work practice in the morning that will be uh, it's like it's 30 breaths of like real forceful breathing but i restrict my nose so it's but I, so i restrict the airwaves so i'm essentially training all the intercostals all of my diaphragm to pull in air a lot easier so that when i take a breath at rest it's stronger so i do that 30 times i get to about 20 actually i'll do it 50 so i do three sets of 50 and i get to 30 and i'm like okay i'm sweating I'm sweating now. Yeah. Like I'm, <laughs> I need to take, I need to take a layer off. Like this is intense, and it's, <laughs> and you realise like it's actually not like the big muscles that are working, but the intricate ones inside that are doing all of the automated involuntary work. That if you train them yeah. to be strong, then you can allow those big muscles where you get the injuries, like your your traps, to relax and chill mm -hmm. out. And that's that's great that you've you found that, and and hopefully seeing more results, which is which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it took me a long time to figure out that the reason that I used to injure my shoulder when I was high stressed was more to do with breath and taking my stress yeah. into my shoulders than it was just a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my shoulder's hurting again. And my physio was like, you've been quite stressed out this week. I was like, yeah, so. And then she was like, you've been quite stressed out every week you come in here with a sore shoulder. And I was like, okay, now we're starting yeah. to see the cause and effect. But honestly, I never, never realized, never occurred to me. But, um, yeah, it's made a big difference and it's still something that I'm really quite poor at, but actually starting to build that awareness um, has been very valuable already. And, and I don't think many athletes recognise that link between general life stress and an impact on the field. So I, I, I can 100% vouch for that where I know I've torn hamstrings or quads and it was the hypertension in my body that I felt that was coming from hypertension in my mind that was starting the day off and I was not at a relaxed state I wasn't my base level was raised and then essentially the the ceiling that I was hitting I was getting there far quicker than if I was at a lower base level of, of stress so just a piece of advice for people listening is that just check your stress levels before you're going into something are you calm have you lowered your base level so that before you're going for a hard workout before you're going for a tough competition and your mental stress comes in your nerves your anxieties raise that all it could genuinely have an impact on your on your body and, and this is a really good example that you're giving yeah, 100%. I've, I've experienced it far too many times. <laughs> um, so obviously, cautious of time, and, and I, I want to kind of just start to wrap up with a few things. Uh, Commonwealth Games coming up. Um, what What is the experience like leading up to a, a Games right now? So 
I don't, I, I don't, obviously I'm, you're going to want to do as well as you possibly can, but I'm, I'm interested as to what's it going to look like when you get there? Um, what are the things that you're perhaps going to be doing around the games as they're going on? Um, I mean, the build-ups are always very hectic. I think, you know, when you build up to any major event, you have this picture in your mind of this perfect sort of training block, this structure that you, you often have it kind of planned out ahead of time. And then as you get closer, you have things like media events mm. or kitting out days or team send-offs and little things that kind of get in the way and make things quite busy. And yes, absolutely really exciting and a fun part of these events. But you kind of going, oh, but I want to be on court and I want to be doing this training. I'm missing this now. Or you have meetings, media all over lunch and then you go in the afternoon and your brain's kind of mush. And it's like managing those sort of side of things. And, you know, luckily I've experienced it a lot and I've, you know, learned a lot about it. But it was something I struggled with a, a lot at first because I was like, I just want to be training. I just want to be on court. And you do have elevated stress levels. You know, I've seen it in training this week. People having, you know, breaking rackets, having tantrums, getting annoyed about things that would never normally bother them. And then, you know, when I've been one of those people that's done it on certain days and sometimes I've witnessed it and you can kind of, now I can see that that's because we're leading into a major event and it's not just a coincidence. Um, So, you know, stress levels are definitely up because as an athlete, obviously you want to do well and you want to go out there and you want to be successful. Um, And when you get into these sort of multi-sport environments, so when you get there on Sunday, it's very different to a normal tournament. You've got the Team England staff around you. You've got other sports there. The food's all out in a buffet. Um, you know, it's just different things that can often overwhelm. Um, and again, I'm old and experienced. I've done it a lot. And so hopefully that won't happen to me. But, you know, there's no saying it won't. You know, Birmingham is at home games and family and friends are going to be around and it's going to be chances to go and do things that I wouldn't normally get to do and it's kind of how do I manage that alongside my best preparation and my best performance mm-hmm. um so you know it's there's a lot of considerations different from a, a regular tournament going into things like this and a lot of sort of I guess background noise or distractions and other things that that can take your eye off the ball um and for me it's not about ignoring those other things or pretending they're not happening or trying to lock myself in my room and pretend nothing's going on it's actually about finding the balance of how do I go there and thrive from that environment you know how do I get the energy from team and the other athletes and I love speaking to other athletes I think it's so enlightening okay so how do I do that in a way that doesn't mentally tax me for, for my matches and finding that sort of balance and getting the joy of okay I've worked really hard to achieve go into this event so I want to be able to enjoy it but I also want to perform well and those can definitely go hand in hand because you do see that team events and team environments bring out the best performances in people Um, and so yeah I think that's kind of we've got a week when we get there to figure it out and to get settled in and and soak up the environment and um, then once we get started day after the open ceremony is very much all systems go off of I, I guess as well if you're you're able to signpost those things early on then at least not a shock when they happen like you said you've got the experience so um i'm always a big fan of of i think it was is, is it bob bowman who was um michael phelps's coach and he he used to like knock his his goggles off in training and things like that. he's like what happens if that happens in a in a in a 
tournament in a race and it's kind of that that prep that catastrophe prep or that what happens if i don't get on court for training like should there be a fire drill or something like that and yeah if you can signpost anything that may happen or at least get your prep in early like that then you're in a good place i actually had a really um i don't know if funny is the word enlightening experience when i was we played in tokyo so uh, we played our first match uh, at the Olympics. We had a French pair in our group who we knew was kind of between us and them who would be the second pair going through the group. So it was this really big game. Uh, and I went on and I always, before a game, I just retie my shoelaces, have a sip of my drink, put my drink back in my bag, went on to court, played 11 points. I don't even think we made it to 11. We made it to about eight or nine and there was a challenge. So I walked off court to pick up my drink and I usually have a pretty, probably slightly bigger than this drinks bowl. Yeah. And I picked it up and I was like, ooh, that's pretty light. What's happened there? I'd left the lid completely off. So my racket bag was full of juice. Oh my just God. completely full. And then I just, you know, it was quite a nervy game. It was quite a tense start. And I just went, what else could go wrong? You know, you just kind of, I literally just had a moment of like, oh, well, might as well just play now. Like the stupidest thing that could possibly happen has happened, you know, and you know, that may not be true. A lot of worse things could have happened. But in my mind, I was just like, well, there's the catastrophe. Like, let's just go and play now, yeah. you know, and it kind of weirdly settled me a lot into the game. And I was just like, really almost surprised by the response that I mentally had to that, you know, unintentionally, I was just like, huh. Aren't I silly? Like, let's go and play some badminton. Obviously, then followed by getting a lot of towels and mopping up the <laughs> absolute. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was one of those things of it's like you know prepare yourself for the worst thing that can happen, but also think that if that worst thing does happen, then you kind of go, well, the worst has happened. You know, it can't get any sillier or stupider or whatever. Than yeah, this. and it's also what you can and can't control. Like you almost that that that's done. That moment's happened. You can't control it, but you you can control how you respond to it. You could have easily in that moment gone, well, I'm done now. Like, I might as well walk off. Like, uh, why was me? Like, what, uh, this is just the reason I'm playing. Any bad point that happens from this moment on is because of this reason. And then it turns into a downward spiral. Um, or you just go, yeah, that's happened now. Let's move past it and let's just play the game. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I actually almost would have expected my response to be, not giving up, but to be very different to what it was. And it was, um, yeah, it was a nice moment in what I felt was a very high stress situation. Amazing. Look, last, last question, which is one that I always give, give guests on the, on the podcast, which is what, what is a potential book, documentary quote that you have been inspired by and perhaps even gift to other people? Oh. That's a very good question. A documentary that I loved was uh, the Chicago Bulls one. Uh, La- it called the, Dream the Last Team. Dance. No. The Last Dance. Oh my God, where did I get Dream Team? So yeah, The Last Dance. That was that was amazing. I just think that Michael is just an incredible competitor. Mm. You know, very actually very different to how I am as an athlete. I would say, but just a really in unique and incredible mindset towards sport and the sporting part of it is just really really cool really inspiring and then yeah very much made me want to go to a lot of basketball games 
Um, and a book that I really loved, um, another Michael, Michael Johnson's, I think it's called, it's either Gold or Gold Rush. Yeah. I don't think I've got that right. He's got a book. Uh, and it was, I read it many, many years ago now. Uh, and I just found it really inspiring because he was very much a, guess no stone unturned, you know, hard work um, and hard work is your talent mm. sort of person. And it resonated a lot with me. Um, and there was a lot of really great sort of lessons and quotes in there. Um, so, yeah, that would be a, a great gift. Amazing. Look, this has been, a, I've loved this. This has been a great, great episode. And uh, and I'm sh- no doubt there's going to be tons that people are going to get from it. Um, where is the best place to send people? What's, what's the, the best place for people to find you? Uh, I am, as you say, usually around on Instagram. It's just at Lauren Smith. Uh, that is probably the best place to find Wicked. me. I'll put all the links in the show notes. But Lauren, thank you so much for, for tuning in and doing this. I, I, I really, really appreciate it. No, it's been great. Thanks so much for having me.